0: Welcome to From Local to Global Small Business Success Stories, Akashi's Business Builders podcast series. Listen as we chat with small business and startup innovators across the ecosystem and uncover the secrets behind their success. From Local to Global is proudly supported by World First. World First, the smart way for businesses to collect, convert, and make payments globally. Importers save on international payments with money transfers up to eight times cheaper than the banks. Exporters open local currency accounts around the world quickly and for free. If you're looking for small business advice or inspiration, find us at www.koshisbusinessbuilders.com.au or join the conversation on Facebook. Here's your host, David Kosh.
1: Hi gang, Koshi here, and today I'm talking with Elke Pasco, founder of Little Oak, a homegrown organic baby formula made with goat's milk. Elke was inspired to start her company after her experiences as a mum led her to take a deeper look into the ingredients in the infant formulas on supermarket shelves. She's here today to give us the lowdown on the inspiration for her business and explain how she took it from a local brand to a global success, Elke Pascoe, welcome.
2: Thank you. You
1: are a whirlwind. Um, <laughs> what gave you the inspiration for Little I?
2: Um, well, do you know, it's probably, uh, probably a number of things, a couple of contributing factors, uh, largely, you know, personal change. These things usually come after years of working in corporate and you wake up one day and think, ah, I had enough of this. Let's try and find something I'm passionate about. Um, I always wanted to be a paediatrician, never made the grades, sadly, so I had this, you know, dream to help children all over the world. And and then I suppose one day after having my own children, um, you know, I sat down one day and thought, right, what am I passionate about? Am I ever going to go and do this medical degree or I find something I can put my commercial experience to? And it just so happened one day I was standing in the supermarket supermarket shelves after having two children of my own. And I actually, for the first time ever, picked up a can of infant formula and looked at the ingredients. Because when you're a mum and you're tired yep. and worn out and yep. someone's just said, drink that stuff and you give it to your child and, you know, you just think, right, that must be okay. I took a took a look at it and thought, oh my goodness, like what is going into this stuff? You know, there's maltodextrin, there's palm oil, there's all this stuff that if you're an adult, you wouldn't eat. Um, and, I, and I really couldn't, you know, I thought I really can't understand why it's going into infant formula. So I spent... After that it was a bit of a hobby, really, kind of worked, and then wherever I was, I'd sort of try and pull back the curtains a little bit further around how you make infant formula, what goes in it, what should go in it, what shouldn't go in it. And then I got collated enough stuff and then got a few people around the table and said, This is what I want to do. I want to make wow. the most, the best and most natural infant formula I can. Okay. And uh, that's where it all all stemmed from.
1: Look, I'll go back to the company in a minute. Yes. I want to know more about you and this decision to go from big corporate life yes. to start your own business. Mm. Why? That's a massive change. <laughs>
2: uh, well, there was, as I mentioned, there was probably a few personal circumstances that led to kind of that crossroads. Um, and, you know, I kind of woke up one day and thought, can I continue doing what I'm doing for the rest of my life? And I thought, no, I can't. So um, I, I thought, right, well, I'm kind of, you know, Not young enough, but I sort of felt like I had enough energy in me at the time. And, you know, I thought, well, I could back myself now and go for it, and all else fails. You know, I can probably still be young enough to go and get a job at McDonald's, if you're listening. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, and I, you know, had the the drive to make sure that you could see it through. And, And I think also at the end of the day, I have two children. So every day I get up and think, right, I'm doing this for them. And every day when it gets harder and harder and harder, and you keep thinking, right, these two kids i'm doing it for them so you know i'm doing it for them plus all the other kids that i know deserve better nutrition but for them it's um yeah that was a that was well, the real driving force
1: what have you learnt from that change to uh, to starting your own business what is mm. it is it all it's cracked up to be or what you expected?
2: Um, it it's... well is it all I expected? I knew it was going to be hard. Yep. Um, my dad was always, he was always, you know, had his own businesses. So I always knew that. Gee, that helps, does it? Yeah. I sort think there's of, a pedigree know, stuff yeah. to it. You know that it's not always easy. You're not going to come home at the end of each month with a solid paycheck. Yep. Um, but I also knew that um, when you, the best thing about being, starting your business, you are the, you know, you are the captain of your ship. Um, and you're responsible for whether that ship's going to sail and, and you know, stay upright or whether you're, you know, if you don't give it the time, energy and love and devotion that it needs, it will fall over. I mean, I think the biggest thing I've learned is resilience because, you know, not only are you trying to build something, grow it, you, you're you also then, at, you know, when it comes to it, you're getting investors in as well. So that adds another dynamic. So you're constantly Juggling balls. I mean, I came from the consulting world. I thought I couldn't juggle any more balls in that industry. But when you're, you know, you have a company yourself, you just double that balls, and then it cripples and then. But because it's, it's, it's quite
1: it's... different, giving someone else advice. Mm. To actually being responsible for the decisions yourself, completely,
2: it? yeah, and it's and it's not only that; it's also been when you employ you employ people, mm-hmm. so you have other people's livelihood that you're responsible for, and that always weighs on you when you when you have your own company because you think you got to keep you got to keep making sure you get up every day, and when you feel like you just want to stay under the covers, because there's people relying on you. So, yeah.
1: yeah. But, so, so the biggest challenges you faced
2: people believing in your your vision at the very beginning when it was just a you know when it was just an idea yeah. you know it you believe it you can see it you can feel it um but it's translating that to somebody so they can get on board with you um and then you know more importantly when obviously you're trying to get investment i mean that's one of the biggest challenges any yeah. company that has global ambitions um you know has to face uh for us, I always wanted you know, I always wanted to do everything in Australia. Australia was quite a difficult country for us to get our manufacturing up on. If I didn't have $10 million in the bank, nobody wanted to talk to me. Wow. And uh, so that's why we had to look further afield and it was interesting. Our friends over in New Zealand sort of opened their arms and said, we will help you, we'll build this and we'll, you know, we know you don't have $10 million in the bank, but we can see what you're trying to do.
1: The Kiwis are a bit more innovative in that regard, is that, particularly in terms of... Um, dairy products, agricultural products, but even software. Yes. Too, isn't it? Yeah. They're,
2: yeah, no, they're very good. It's an
1: interesting country like that. They do take chances, and generally, they pull it off.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know they're just more open. They're a little more open. I always say they they always feel like they're a little more open for business. It's that kind of. It's country... I say country mentality. I'm It's a sizeable country, but, you know, that country mentality where people actually want to help you, genuinely want yeah. to help you. So I was really grateful for the support I got yep. from, uh, from New Zealand.
1: And you always envisaged a global presence. Yes. Was that key to it?
2: Yes. And the reason for that um, is... And obviously, you're in business. You've got to make money to survive. But um, as I said, you wanted to be a paediatrician, and there was a, a pivotal moment in my life um, when I was about my daughter's age, actually about six or seven, and I was in my little country school in Edithburgh, South Australia, and I had a nurse come back from um, Africa uh, when she showed all these pictures of hungry children, and that's really where, if I look back, that seed of 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 where you know I've come to now was really was really sown because I said to myself. I, I don't want to see children hungry. I, I want to help these kids. And in my little mind back then it was being a doctor. You have to be a doctor to help <laughs> young children. Yeah. And now, you know, the universe and how it all comes about, this is, I felt, you know, the best way uh, I, could, I could do that. Yeah. You know, And I, you know, like I said, it's my children that drive me, but it's also this desire to make sure that no children goes hungry. And I say that to everybody. Mm. Like we will you know that's why not, you know we'll make sure that everything we produce goes to our child, yep. because it's no you know, there's hungry children out there, and there's no child that should go to bed at night with an empty stomach in my mind
1: um saying you have everybody or lots of business owners have global ambitions yes, it's scary, yes um you've gotta be comfortable with it as a leader, even though you grew up on the York Peninsula. You spent a lot of your corporate life in Asia, didn't you? And yes. Dubai and Ireland and the whole lot. So you've grown up with that outlook, I suppose, mm-hmm. in, in your corporate life and your personal life. But what sort of challenges were involved in taking it global? And, and where did you get the help?
2: Well, the challenges, again... As you say, I mentioned I was fortunate to have that exposure to a lot of those mm-hmm. countries, so you knew where you had to go to and who you had to speak to, and uh, right. the networks, the cultural networks, issues. and the you know, yep. and understanding the you know, the, the regulatory times and the you know, the how you interact with people, and you know, down to kind of how you'd put a document together, and you know, simple things like that. Um, but but really, it's also understanding each of those markets and the areas of opportunity that you, 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 you know. Like in Singapore, mm-hmm. for example, when you live there, you understand where the um, you know, grants are or where the, the, ah. who to speak to in terms of investing or how to get help. Um, the biggest challenge with going global is the time and the commitment. You actually underestimate how much time that takes um yeah. obviously to establish that network of people and find the right partners and make sure they're on the same page with you you know we've been working in one country for from day dot and it's, we still haven't been able to convert it because it's you know you ca- you have to get on you have to get people on the same page as you um otherwise you know that you know that partnership is never gonna move forward mm-hmm. um and now obviously in the middle of covid you can't sort of you know zooms one thing and it's a, a great tool um, but sitting in front of somebody when you're first creating an introduction is is a you know particularly it's
1: in asia too particularly isn't it? in Asia. it's all about trust it's all about respect
2: and eyeballing and you know sitting and having a, a meal with them and you know meeting the family and and what have you and it's uh you can't do that now so yeah. obviously you have to you have to make provisions for that in your in your plans and we certainly have to have to do that in our plans
1: yep how important is it that is that New Zealand slash Australia brand going into these markets. We've seen likes of Bellamy's, A2, Bub's, Mm. you know, Blackmore's. Um, Brand Australia, Brand New Zealand Mm. is so powerful in Asia, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. And that's because we do such a great job in creating, you know, quality products, ones that, you know, have the right regulations so consumers can actually trust them. Yep. Um, and, you know, we don't cut corners. And, and that's essentially what you're, that's what, you know, that's what you're selling to, to the global markets is, yep. is that trust.
1: What sort of processes do you have in place to manage a global business? Mm. Because I reckon that would be a massive challenge for anyone, given... Um, the different countries you're going to be in, um, remoteness of staff, accountability.
2: Mm. Um, well, I think that the first, the first real point to making sure that the global business works is 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 people you've got to get the right people um working with you and around you um in in you know hq and then in those markets and it's really critical that you have i always do it on well i do it on gut feel a lot of the time and i don't always get it right <laughs> i have to tell you i always you know i sit there and i say you know i'm gonna you know the we we, we work with people that a you know you, you know we trust um that we know they're the best in their field and and three that um uh that we that we can work together we can have fun together that we can you know Know, that we when they we're in it for the long term. And on those three, that's sort of how we've sort of played our, you know, how we selected people that work for us, how we selected partners. And once you've got that, you've got those people in place. And then you just, you, you establish the, the, you know, the supply, well, for now, our, our communication chain, if you right, were. The it, tools. The tools, yep. yeah. And we have a lot in terms of, you know, making sure we have a really solid supply chain. That logistics piece for our business is so critical. My supply and operations manager out of New Zealand is the best in the world, like hands down the best. And uh, I'm so fortunate to have her and she operates this business like clockwork. And when you think there's, you're never going to be able to get one thing to another thing or make contact with that person, she's already done it for you. And you think, God, help me, fantastic, you know. Um, but no, I mean, having those and the, that regular kind of, a, you know, that cat, all these catch-ups in terms of reporting is so important in terms of just keeping the, the oil yeah. and the wheels moving Because the minute you look away to somewhere else, it drops off. The other thing about a global business is making sure you don't bite off too much more than you can chew. Because one of the things that we naturally want to do if you're, you know, you want to do all of this all at once and it doesn't work like that. You know, you're better to kind of just carefully and thoughtfully get that in place. And I've learned the hard way on that one because I ran at that, you know. I ran, I was like, look at this and this and this and this and this. And then you realise you've got all this and there's not enough hours and not enough people and not enough ability to do it all. So. And,
1: and bed, it down. And how bed many, it down. How many countries are you in?
2: At the minute, five. Right. Yes. How,
1: how do you manage the cash flow mm. and particularly the foreign exchange yes. with all of that? Yeah. Because that's that's a totally different layer Completely. of complexity and risk.
2: Completely. And that is, it is, it's from one day to the next you think you've got to, you're have got you up on something and you're down. So we're very fortunate we have a great finance team, but we also have, um, uh, you know, in terms of our partners in um, like World First, let's say, who does all our transactions, we were so silly in the beginning because we were doing all our transactions through No offence to any of our banking partners, but we were doing it through them and not realising how much we were actually losing until we'd sort of, you know, we happened to find World First and now we we can confidently move money across the world. Um but it's like anything. We always sort of find that net, net, you know, the end of the year, that for where you've been up on one time, you're down the next month anyway. So it kind of wash, you know, it more or less washes out um, at the end of the year. But we will have to watch it carefully all the time, of course, you know, especially when we're trading stuff sometimes even across Australia and New Zealand. And the yeah. and Singapore was always one for one and now it's not. So it can make, mm. can take a, you can take some, some hits, yeah. some good hits every now and again.
1: And and you don't want to base your fortunes on currency fluctuations. No. You want to base your fortunes on the operation of the business. Absolutely, don't you? absolutely. Yeah.
2: And it's the operation of the business, and it's the product that you're selling, and it's the you know it's yeah. the ability to actually you know develop um, develop great products that you know meet consumer demands and needs. Yeah. You
1: know. So, how's how's the structure of the business operate? Do you have if you like a global team, and then you have separate country teams. Yes. To, to, and how do you differentiate the roles in terms of marketing and things like that?
2: We tend to centralise the um, critical functions in Australia and New Zealand. So where we have, you know, finance and and well, finance also sits out of Singapore. But we, you know, have then have another strong team locally here, um, and then that sort of draws in. So we have a hub and a classic hub and spoke model in that case. Our marketing, um, we keep that very tight. We have, you know, very clear strategy on that and then we just tailor it and, bes- you know, bespoke it for each of the each of the markets. Um, then we have, you know, when we have logistic partners, we, again, just try to use global companies like Main Freight, for example, to, you know, make sure that we have one cohesive kind of network across all the markets that we go to um, just to keep it simple. We try to keep it as simple as we can. Okay. Because uh, there's only, we're, you know, Despite where we are and you know uh, where we are in terms of um, the business, we're still in a small team. So we're still, you know, we're still doing invariably three jobs for one person. Right. Okay. And that's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and that keeps you nimble, doesn't? Doesn't it? Keeps oh, it? closer And now more than ever, through the environment we're going through, mm. it is lean, nimble teams absolutely. are going to win.
2: Yeah. Well, I hope so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it does, you know, any of that um, corporate fat I talk about. And when I say corporate fat, I talk about all the excess meetings and all the excess, you know, emails and all the excess. You know, we, we don't do that in Little Oak. We, uh, you know, we certainly make sure that if you want a conversation with someone, you just pick up the phone and you talk to them. Because yep. otherwise you waste time, energy, and indeed, at the end of the day, money. <laughs> exactly. So, my brother. Um,
1: most rewarding thing for you yes. of being an entrepreneur?
2: Um, There is one moment in time when I can, through this whole process of years of toiling and sleepless nights and worrying if I was making the right decision and worrying if I've got enough money in the bank to pay the rent one month and, you know, because you'd put everything into this business, um, was when we walked into the warehouse in New Zealand and we saw our first run of product. And I just, it was, you probably noticed, it's very rare that I'm lost to words Well, I just went, oh, because everything came to life, Do you know. And I, even today I will, you know, I took a picture of it and I have that first can that came off the, off, the, wow. off the factory line and, you know, long may Little Oak survive, but that memory will always be firmly imprinted in my mind because, um, you know, any business is a difficult one um, to start up. Yeah, and infant formula is, you know, in terms of, you know, this category and this space is very cluttered, so it's not for the faint-hearted um, but if you've got enough passion and drive and, and you're doing it for the right intent, you know, yes, we have to make money. We, we, we know that. Uh, but, you know, for us it's really about, really about you know, a much bigger dream right. and vision uh, for children everywhere. So.
1: Okay. Yeah. Corporate-wise, business-wise, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the dream? Are you, go- are you going to float or are you...?
2: Well, I'd love to. That was always my intention. I well actually the reality is when I first started this, I always wanted to be a legacy business. I always wanted to hand this over to my kids. Right. but that's a bit of a romantic dream that you know very <laughs> quickly gets caught uh, when you have investors and um, <laughs> so you know then it was it became you know a, a, a you know certainly a listing would be ideal, but you know we've um, we're actually capital raising at the minute, which is you know. Yeah, Incredible environment for doing such a thing, yep. um, but uh, you know we've got you know we've got a lot of trade interest, um, sort of trade company, other companies that are looking at buying us. I think because we, uh, you know, we we have something different. You know, we have a something special here at Little Oak with a, a palm oil free, simple things. You know, these are things I just I can't, you know.
1: And um, but they're little things people are, are really conscious about these days, aren't they? Well, they incredibly are incredibly important.
2: Well, yeah, and the millennial mum is is so you know they're so more. Um, Information-rich, and they've, you know, they, they want more pure, clean products, and you know, things like palm oil. You know, you would never, you would. I encourage you next time you're sitting in there and looking at your food, or have a look and just yeah. see everything has palm oil in it. Okay. And when we had to go and get our certification to be palm oil free, you know, we had no idea yeah. that how how uh, how palm oil sort of was sort of you know embedded into everything that you know yeah. you were putting yeah. into. It. So we had to go out, start from scratch. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been a, uh, you know, these sort of things, are the ones that mums want to see now.
1: It's an amazing success story. Elkie Pascoe, you're a live wire. Lo- have loved chatting with you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And that's it for From Local to Global Small Business Success Stories. Thanks for listening. From Local to Global Small Business Success Stories is proudly supported by World First.
0: World First, the smart way for businesses to collect, convert and make payments globally. Importers save on international payments with money transfers up to eight times cheaper than the banks. Exporters open local currency accounts around the world quickly and for free.